Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Asmahan Razavi, and I'm joined by Darren Krauss and Jeremy Zhao. In the spirit of reconciliation, we want to acknowledge that we record this podcast and live and work and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Climate strategy has passed. The ethics commissioner uh, sanctioned two councillors, councillors Kara and McLean. So we will go into that a little bit. But we're going to start with some hot takes. And it's a really, really hot day and hot week. So let's, let's keep them spicy, guys. Yeah, so I guess the first hot take I wrote down was former councillor and I guess former mayoral candidate Jeff Davison kind of released a, a little video talking about the climate change uh, strategy being passed and kind of repeating some of the, we'll call it uh, incorrect or maybe not so up-to-date, you know, numbers on kind of the whole, whole, whole package and, and, and what administration, uh, administration had talked about versus what people are talking about. I don't know about you, uh, but I was actually wholeheartedly disappointed. Like not to, not to add on to your hot take, but I always thought to a certain degree, if it wasn't arena related, <laughs> Jeff Davison wouldn't take those, that misinformation. Like, like, honestly, he's going down the path of, of Jeremy Farkas and uh, Jeremy Farkas of old. Let, let me say that. And, and I'll tell you why maybe another time. But he's going down the path of Jeremy Farkas of old of taking that number and totally misconstruing it. And it's so disappointing to see it. I was uh, shocked and disappointed as well. And to your point, Darren, I was kind of thinking like, you know, Jeremy Farkas has now, you know, he's got this image of like out there hiking, sending personalized letters to people who are donating to him and really like softening that kind of more, you know, he didn't have a great a great rap at the end of the last election. Let's put it that way. And uh, this was, this just seemed like a really uh, out of left field video. Jeremy, you've got in the show notes though, that, that what is this, uh, a Jeff Davison for, for 2025. I mean, that's immediately what came to my mind here was, oh, he's really trying to position himself. I think he'll get some, some competition from, from Sonia Sharp on that conservative side of things, but it really felt like he's trying to keep his name out there in that sphere for a potential 2025 run. Yeah, just weird, or maybe it, maybe some provincial ambitions as well. I, I, you could never rule that out. Uh, the other one I wrote down was I, I actually decided to tune into a committee meeting just to just to see what council or I guess counselors would talk about when it came to some of the, the suburban growth. And it got off to just a really poor start. And it just reminded me why I don't watch a lot of council meetings or committee meetings, because it really just evolved into a lot of, I don't know, egos, I guess, going around instead of trying to just 
figure out what the procedures or procedural bylaws were and, and move on. It just became in half an hour to an hour of just he said, she said, back and forth that that just really turned me off as a as I guess a former Calgarian. It is utter nonsense. That's all I'll say. I, I sit through that crap all the time. And, you know, the last council was really bad, but this council is showing signs of posturing that that's all it is. And you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's ego. You know what? If you don't have anything constructive to say, I'm sorry, let's get the business of the city moving forward. We're going to get into our first segment and we're going to talk about the city's climate strategy. So uh, council passed the climate strategy, which, by the way, outlines how the city will reach net zero by 2050. And it was passed with a nine to six vote. The vote on passing the strategy had been delayed a few weeks. We kind of referenced this earlier, but the $87 billion price tag was something that some councillors and others jumped on uh, saying that, you know, Calgarians are on the hook for the whole amount administration was sent to kind of clarify this. So when it came back to council, they said that the cost, $87 billion cost is cumulative and economy-wide investment. It won't all be covered by Calgary taxpayers. What I think people should be talking about is that we will be saving $8 billion a year by 2080 um, by engaging in like, you know, climate mitigation and and all that kind of stuff, um, which can lead to like extreme weather that would impact our city in, in many different ways. But it passed. Jeremy and and Darren, were you surprised? Did you were you worried that it wasn't going to pass? What do you think about how the debate went? Sorry, this is what happens when you sit outside. No, no worries, no worries. This is what happens. Okay, you might have to cut this part out, Darren. Sorry. No, no, no. This is this is brilliant. This is gold. Keep it rolling. I actually joined a, a bit of the Twitter space that had happened after the the vote passed that the Calgary Climate Hub was um, was hosting. And one interesting comment was you just kind of look at, in, in generalities, you look at the councillors that did a vote against the climate strategy and which communities or which wards they represented. Uh, a general, not, not fully uh, true all the sense, but in general, a lot of these wards bordered the, the outskirts of Calgary or we're on the periphery. Let me just play a quick clip because I want to go back to that $87 billion. I've got a clip actually from Terry Wong. I'm, I'm going to play it here for you guys so you can hear it. And because I really think it's important to nail this down. And I really hope that so many people listen to this because it flies in the face of what Dan McLean is saying it flies in the face of what Jeff Davison and, and his thing is that, that we talked in the, in the hot takes, but let me see if I can, I can cue it up here. So this was Terry Wong just pre debate before we got into the climate strategy. So last time we spoke, which was again, going back to uh, 
the previous council meeting, we were delayed it. At that time, a lot of people were concerned about the expression of the $87 billion number as it being placed on the, the burdens of the shoulders of all taxpayers. That number was not a representation of the total cost of the city, but rather an inclusive cost of the city as well as private enterprise and individual uh, properties. We want that explained today so that the public has a better understanding of that. So, I mean, that to me sums it up right there. A lot of people latched on to that $87 billion not really understanding that a lot of it is uh, going to come from the feds. A lot of it's going to come from the province. Some of it will come from the city. There's no doubt. I mean, the city's going to come forward with a climate package for their budget. And yes, that part is going to be borne by taxpayers. But this also includes investment by private companies in retrofitting their building for something a little bit more environmentally friendly. It also includes what homeowners in the city of Calgary, solar panels, EV chargers, all of those things. It also includes the private investments that people make as individuals. So it's their cars, it's their e-bikes, it's all of those kinds of things that people are going to be making investments in that over, gosh, how many years? 25, 28 years, or my math is bad, 26 years, that we're going to accrue $87 billion. That is, a, that is a long time and a lot of expenditures by cities, private corporations, funding from the province, funding from, from the feds. It's, it's really sad that the people who really are and they they couch their comments all the time by saying i'm i'm for doing things to help the environment but really when you vote against something and you use absolutely false information to back up your claim you are not in favor of anything to do with climate change yeah i just want to like add on to what you said darren because i feel like and we're going to go into this a little bit in the next segment but public officials should be held to a higher standard. And I understand that there was a lot of confusion around the $87 billion number. That's why, you know, we needed some clarification from administration. Okay, great. But the role of a counselor is not to sow confusion and to like use that confusion to then kind of stoke certain, uh, you know, certain kinds of feelings or anything like that because they're politically advantageous. The role of a counselor is to be like you know, the disseminator of information so that Calgarians can best understand what is happening in council. So for me, like, you know, the counselors who were sort of saying like, oh, $87 billion, you, the Calgarian taxpayer are on the hook for that. Like, that's a lie, right? And uh, what's worse is like, I mean, either they understand that it's a lie or they don't understand that it's a lie. I'm not sure which, which one's worse, really. But I think that this is an instance of, you know, this is something that is object- objectively good for the city. You know, there are a lot of debate that can happen around, okay, is the strategy going far enough? What is it doing here? What is it doing there? Are we actually going to be able to reach net zero by 2050? You know, what do we need from the province? What do we need from the feds? Are they stepping up? I feel like there's a lot of legitimate debate to be had around those points. Um, but the debate that we ended up having is such a disservice to us as Calgarians. And this is a strategy, right? This is kind of a, a blueprint or a guideline as to how the, the the city of Calgary is going to try to hit certain targets, whether that be UN targets or whatever Canada set. So it's not unique to Calgary by any means. 
at least here in Victoria, I know of the other municipalities that have similar guidelines and they try to use it as an indication of how far they progress. They also track how citizens have, you know, kind of like what you said, Darren, whether they have in installed a solar panel, whether they have upgraded certain private uh, installations of, of EV charging at their property. So I think, again, if we're voting against this strategy, then the councillors opposed to it, I think, should offer something. And if they think the, the one that's been proposed is not practical, I, I definitely wanted to see then, again, I think repeated this last podcast episode of what steps would you take to practically move forward then, right? And I don't see that a lot. And I, I'm hoping this new council is able to come up with alternatives, right? Again, I'm going to repeat the same thing I said last time. I don't just go to a client. I just don't go to a client base and say, sorry, I can't solve your problem. They expect me to come back and give an alternative, maybe something more practical. And it's probably not likely we're going to hit a lot of these targets. That's okay. What can we do better? So I think the phrasing and kind of some of that, that maybe we'll call it false information should have been backed up with an alternative. Yeah, let me go, let me go two directions with this. The, the 87 billion, because Esmahan, you asked a question, uh, do, they, do they know that they're lying or do they deliberately do it? I think they know that the folks out there will latch on to that. People who share the same viewpoint as them will latch onto that. And that's all they hear. They will never hear that the city will save $8 billion a year. And as a byproduct of that, probably end up saving them some tax dollars down the road. Should the, the climate situation get to the point where many climatologists think, and there's more severe weather events or or that sort of thing, like it could uh, prevent a future flood or that massive hailstorm that destroys, you know, 5,000 houses in the Northeast kind of thing. They, they aren't really putting all of those pieces together. And I really think that that is the responsibility of a city councillor to be able to walk the constituents through that. But it just becomes a, a game of ideology. But I do want to talk about, I mean, you also raised the, the interesting point, Esmahan, about the kind of debates we could be having. And I thought that, I, I think it was Jennifer Wyness who brought this up. It, it might actually have been Sonia Sharp. But we have many different climate-related strategies already, whether that's built into the Calgary Transportation Plan, the things that we're doing with Route Ahead, Calgary's existing climate plan. And what their point was was these already give city administration the latitude to do much of the work that this climate strategy is going to allow them to do. So I guess to that end, the question is, I, I mean, is there a certain amount of make work project in this that, hey, you know what, uh, every once in a while, we got to come up with a, a new strategy because we've got these folks working within the city and we got to keep them busy and we got to update it and, and, do, and do that that sort of thing. We already have the ability to make some of these decisions. Did we really need to go through this strategy process again? I mean, I, I think it's hard to answer, but I would say that my understanding with this strategy is that it's like a cohesive document that kind of takes some of this together and also like update some of the 
targets that we had around 20, you know, net zero by 2050. So it's kind of like a, um, like an updated version of, of something that had, had been released earlier. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I know enough to say whether or not that this is make work, but I think that it's important for Calgarians to unify around an approach towards achieving net zero by 2050. And like, you know, many people will say that climate is becoming one of the top issues that um, affects how they vote or, or what they're thinking about. Um, so for, for people to be brought along to have an understanding of like what it's going to take to achieve our goals, I think is there's a utility in that as well. I was going to quickly add maybe, you know, maybe back to that theme of what kind of debates we're having. I feel like sometimes, again, the councillors operate on a four-year cycle rather than a 25, 30-year cycle. And the debates are always about what's happening right now, what is on fire right now versus sticking to a long-term plan. I understand there's an inflation crisis. I understand there's an oil gas at an all-time high price crisis, but we rarely kind of see the more nuance like, hey, what is our long-term goals and strategies absent of, you know, whether or not there's an election next year or in four years. And I do think that's missing a lot of the time. Okay, so we're going to go into our next segment and talk about two councillors who were sanctioned by the Integrity Commissioner after receiving uh, ethics complaints. So the councillors are Councillor McLean, who uh, was sanctioned for not wearing a mask at a Christmas event. This was back when we had uh, different COVID rules. And then Councillor Kara, who was also sanctioned for failure to disclose his financial interest in a property in Inglewood. Uh, a few interesting things to come out of this. One was that, you know, Councillor Kara actually voted to sanction himself as well. And this is, uh, you know, in contrast to Councillor Maglioka, from the pre- previous councillor who'd actually uh, recused himself from voting on sanctions. But but there was a lot of heated conversation around this. Darren, I, I know you must have seen it uh, firsthand or emotions running high when uh, when this was being talked about. Well, it's interesting. I'm not sure I would characterize it necessarily as emotions were running high, but there were definitely some thoughts about it. And and I would say that the emotions ran a little bit higher, I guess you could say. The the following day, because Councillor Jennifer Wynas, she wanted to forward it to the RCMP, or not the RCMP, the CPS and, and the province. I mean, to that end, and, and sorry, I should say, to clarify, uh, Giancarlo Carra's failure to disclose the property transaction, she wanted that aspect uh, sent to the CPS and, and to the province. But you know what, on, on both of them, I feel like Dan McLean's one was a bit of a gotcha thing. I really do. And let's just say, I'm not sure which counselor did it, but you know what, I think maybe think twice next time, because that is going to be you at some point and somebody is going to seek it out and you're going to have to answer for it. And it might be an ethics complaint. You might lose some, some stature in your community. You might lose some stature on, on council. Pretty, pretty chintzy one. 
We should also note that there was a second one against Giancarlo Carra as well, related to a social media comment. That one was a little bit more serious in my mind than the Dan McLean one. Dan McLean got got photographed without or not wearing a mask. And somebody, like I said, it was a little bit of a gotcha thing. But Councillor Carra, we've talked about this before. We actually talked about the apology before that he had made. Uh, with regard to a quote tweet that he had sent out, he was also sanctioned for that one. Had to do uh, had to do an apology and and whatnot. Honestly, I felt again like the apology that was initially put out would have sufficed. He apologized. He apologized in public. Now they're making him go through it again. I think there's there's a little bit of a little bit of political gamesmanship at play. But when you do get to the one about the failure to disclose and more and more information is going to come out about this, that is getting into, in my mind, a Maglioka type situation. And I don't know yet if it's worth provincial or CPS involvement, but to Jennifer Winus's point, she had talk to reporters after uh, one of the meetings. She said there's precedent there when it involves money. And decisions that we make, failure to disclose monetary value of any sort, we've already set a precedent that it goes to police. And just by that, I think there's reasonable grounds to send this to the CPS. It got heated to the point where Dan McLean said almost exactly what I said. This is a a situation where one of you is going to get caught. Um, But Giancarlo Carra, who is typically very vocal, even when he's being chastised, remained quite silent. And it was and it was other counselors who sort of expressed their displeasure with the situation. Darren, this one, I think is, sorry, when I say this, I'm referring to Corral uh, failing to disclose that conflict of interest is very serious, I guess, for a local municipal official, because the one example that I'll pull, and I don't remember the specific details, was when um, Hurricane Hazel was the uh, long-serving Mississauga mayor, right? She was uh, very much um, very popular, but she uh, also, you know, there was a bit of conflict of interest, I think, with her son's company or business, and that, you know, lost her a lot of, uh, we'll call it street cred, as the cool kids would say. So for John Carlo Carra to fail to disclose this conflict of interest when your whole kind of job revolves around, you know, land and property, I think is pretty serious, at least in my viewpoint. And from what I've seen, you know, how it hurt, you know, really, even really popular local politicians. Well, I think what's, what, what else is interesting about this whole situation is that the failure to disclose wasn't just this past election. Like, like this goes back a while. So it, it appears as though there's a failure to disclose for the past as, as well. And I think that's what some people are really concerned about is, is how, did it get, how did it get left this long without others looking into it or, or another ethics or integrity commissioner looking into it? Yeah, I think there was an interesting comment by the integrity commissioner where she said like something along the lines of 
you know, the first failure to disclose, she could understand because it could have been like a, a clerical type of thing, but there, there were multiple opportunities for disclosures to happen. And the fact that it didn't happen is what's concerning. Um, so it's definitely a really tough one. And I think the fact that the property is in Inglewood and that is part of Ward 9 uh, adds another dimension to all of this as well. I also think it's weird that he didn't recuse himself from voting. You know, I thought it was pretty standard procedure if something involves you, you know, whether you're going to vote against yourself, I guess, you uh, you still step aside and you let the rest of the members or directors or whomever you're dealing with, whether it's a board or, or a, a, an elected council to, to deal with it. You can't, you shouldn't be voting. The magpie has a lot to say about that, Jeremy. <laughs> I think the magpie has a hot take about how it didn't win Bird. Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's trying to chime in from, uh, from afar. <laughs> a little late magpie, a little late for that. Yeah, you know what? I, I actually found that interesting as well. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, I could, the only thing I could surmise, and, and I'm not in Giancarlo's head, I did talk with him and he said that he's writing his apologies, didn't want to talk about the, the situation in general. But there's a political aspect, I guess, where if you're voting to sanction yourself, it maybe says something that, yeah, okay, I agree that I messed up and I'm willing to take my punishment. But the high road and the procedural road is to recuse yourself in a, in a matter involving you. And, and maybe just in, in people like me and, and our eyes where, where we know the difference between that political aspect of it and the procedural aspect of it, that might have seen like a little bit more of the high road, but I can understand it also from the political side as well. Yeah, the way I interpreted it was like what you're saying, Darren, like essentially I acknowledge that I made a mistake and I am taking part in saying that it's wrong and it's almost like um, paving the way for his apology. But yeah, obviously there's that political versus procedural distinction. I mean, I would say that... I mean, I don't think that Giancarlo Carra is going to run again. I, I don't believe, though I do not know, and I, do, I have no inside information. He did, he's, his, his victories have gotten narrower and narrower over the, over the past number of, of campaigns. So he might see the writing on the wall. But, but does, this, does this hurt him politically over the next four years? Or is this just going to be water off a duck's back and... He's going he's gonna to move on and he's going to be the Giancarlo that people know and love or don't love, you know, before too long. Wasn't one of the things to have him step down from chairing committees. So wouldn't that be uh, my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, was that he was, uh, was he appointed or voted in at least for some of the committees by the mayor or, or was that? Am I misinterpreting it? Well, so on, on organization day, they get appointed to certain committees. And then when that committee first meets, the clerk basically has a, a vote for the chair. So he was voted in or, or acclaimed for the infrastructure and planning committee. But yes, he was removed as, as chair of that committee. So that sucks. 
Yeah, it it does. Um, though you know, we we could we could dive into this. Maybe it's a, another sub segment. But Jeremy, maybe you have some thoughts. You said you listened in on some of the the debate on the the new communities, but I actually felt like Giancarlo let that meeting get out of hand. I, I don't think that he did a, a particularly good job of, of chairing it necessarily. And so to the point, bringing it back around to re being removed from the chair, it might not actually be a bad thing that he is not going to be chairing the infrastructure and planning committee. It just, it, I guess, objectively, it just sucks to, you know, have a, a counselor kind of go out that way and and also start a, a new term kind of with, with this baggage now. It's just disappointing, I guess, in general. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that um, whether or not things like this stick to a person depends on, you know, what's gone on in the past. Is it like, a, is it, uh, is there a pattern of this kind of behavior? Is there a narrative around this person that like this is typical or atypical? Like, I think those types of things matter and people are more willing to forgive like one or two missteps because they recognize that people are human. But if it, if it, I think if people interpret it as like uh, intrinsic to one's character, that's when it really harms you politically. Hope everybody has an enjoyable stampede. Stay safe, keep hydrated, enjoy your mini donuts. And if you want to chat with us about municipal politics, um, I would normally say that you can join us on Twitter Spaces, but I believe Twitter Spaces is taking a bit of a summer holiday, Darren. Well deserved, well deserved. But that doesn't mean you can't tweet at us. So Darren is at livewire underscore DK. Jeremy is at JZ from Calgary, and I'm at Esmahan. YYC, let us know what's uh, getting you hot uh, under the collar this this summer, where we are finally having knock on wood, every possible like wood surface around me, uh, good weather finally. Bye everyone.